Welcome to Inspiring Legal, the podcast for in-house legal. Get insights, learn from peers, life lessons from some of the most influential GCs. If it's related to in-house legal, we cover it. For more inspiration, go to openly.com slash community. with another episode of Inspiring Legal. My name is Stine and I'm your host. Openly is all about the community. It's all about inspiring each other and us to become even better in-house privacy councils, GCs, head of legal, and working with that uh, every single day. Today, I'm joined by Sarah. Sarah, Owis is an amazing person, one to get inspired by. And today she's going to be talking about her journey. Having worked in-house as a legal counsel, moving up in the ranks, so to speak, heading up legal teams, and now working no longer in-house, but from the outside taking that view on how can we, working in-house, improve? What works? What doesn't work? With that maybe more objective view, because she's looking in from the outside. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Tina, for having me. Sarah, so people might know you, they might not know you. You have a massive following base on LinkedIn, and we'll talk about that as well. But maybe for the ones that don't know you, could you maybe just tell a little bit about yourself and your journey and, and yeah, who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, so I'm Sarah. I am a French qualified lawyer, uh, but I've pretty much developed my career in the UK. Um, that's after law school. That's pretty much where everything started for me. Um, I worked as an in-house counsel in, in multiple industries, um, but mostly in technology and, and uh, pharmaceutical life sciences sectors. So these were really the, um, the sectors I knew the most. Um, and um, I developed my career as in-house counsel, uh, first being part of a legal team, and then I joined a, a scale-up. Uh, I started off as a sole counsel, built the entire legal function, and privacy function from scratch. Um, so I've been through the, weed, <laughs> the weeds of um, what it takes uh, um, to, to grow as, a, as an in-house team. And, um, and then um, in 2021, I kind of felt that um, I couldn't see myself doing this again. Um, and it was, I, I just f- figured that I had a, 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 I was more passionate about problem solving uh, in-house as opposed to um, being in, in uh, an in-house counsel uh, uh, on a daily basis, uh, which uh, made me move um, uh, to work part-time um, with Contract Pod AI, uh, uh, which um, I have a CLM, and also found my own uh, uh, consultancy, Lobert House. So it's all about um, I really help legal team design user-centric. Uh, in-house uh, legal departments um, for them to increase customer satisfaction, um, but ultimately also um, be more fulfilled in everything they do. 
So yeah, that's about me. And you say that's about you. That's yeah. quite impressive. Uh, <laughs> and I also think you kind of like did that journey where you started your career, right? And then you just built on from there, building the teams, building yourself and, 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 and being on that journey where when you're a part of a startup or a scale up, you have to keep up with the business, right? You have to keep your team motivated having massive workloads, having to improve yourself, motivate yourself, build out your own kind of career while doing this and still trying to get that work-life balance to, to kind of, well, work, um, or at least just get some kind of uh, like normality into it. So, so Sarah, if you were to kind of like maybe put a few words on when you're now sitting at your consultancy, And, and working with those legal teams. If you were to kind of like take a look at your own journey and, and think a little bit about what have I learned and what would I have done differently maybe, um, could you maybe just share some of those kind of thoughts? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think probably when looking back, one of the things that really hinders, hinders me as an in-house counsel And I think hinder a lot of in-house legal teams is mindset. Um, we are really uh, we lack the skills that it takes to really run um, an effective user-centric legal function that doesn't burn people out. Um, again, because the, the legal functions tend to tend to be unfortunately a cost center. That's just the reality of, of the way. Uh, we are perceived. We obviously get buried in an amount of work and, and, and we are pretty much helpless about it. We don't really know what to do. Um, and I've been that. I've been there. Um, I've been that in-house counsel that didn't have any budget, uh, that, ha that had to fight for months, if not years, to get additional resources, etc. And, uh, and in a way, it, it was a blessing in disguise because when you are... Um, resources comes... Resources come with resourcefulness. So you really have to kind of find ways to build that foundation in order for the resources to come. Since, so since I had no budget, I had to work with what I had, which was nothing. So I had to look inward and be like, okay, what is it that I can do better? What is it that I can, uh, what, what area of, of the business can I start uh, building efficiencies into, et cetera? So it kind of made me think. Um, and I think that a lot of where mindset comes a problem is that we, we tend to kind of think that we can't problem solve unless we have more budget, unless we have more bodies. So we lack this kind of resourcefulness and we don't take a step back and think, well, actually, let's look at what we have here. Does every contract... Is every contract work the same? Absolutely not. I always use the example of the office furniture agreement, <laughs> you know, like office furniture supply and, you know, like low risk, zero value type of contracts. Why do we handle that as, as, as a legal function? So all of those kind of questions, right, um, um, that we don't necessarily ask ourselves. So, so, so looking now from an outsider's perspective, it's obvious that... Um, 
the first change that we have to make is in our mindset. If we see ourselves as not having resources, we will never make the shift anyway. Because there will always be enough budget. There will, ne there will never be enough budget, enough time, enough resources to get things done. So it's all about shifting that belief and be like, you know what, I'm going to make this work with what I have. And we're going to work hard, uh, smarter, not harder. And that's where start, things start uh, to be put into motion. But don't you think, Sarah, and I think you the very, very valid points that you're raising, but don't you think there's also something about legal know that they're a cost center, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in these times, you also know that it's going to be difficult to get additional budget for buying tools or mm -hmm. hiring more people. So, so legal is very mindful of, of those scenarios and therefore won't go to the CFO and push forward for that tool. Whereas if you're in marketing, you're going to go to the CFO and say, well, I know I'm bringing in this amount of leads or I'm supposed to, mm -hmm. but I'm sorry, I can't do that unless I get this tool. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, budget restraints and, and marketing will say, totally up for it, get it, I'm, I'm totally buying to it, but just FYI, I won't hit those lead numbers that you asked me to hit because mm. I don't have the support I'm getting. Yeah. So they're pushing back where I think what I'm seeing often is that legal will say, I know that there isn't budget. We'll just work harder Yeah. and, and we'll just manage as we've always been managing. Like we haven't had this contract management tool for four years we will survive one more year. Mm -hmm. But what really then happens is that legal then works harder, not smarter, but works harder. They, they push that limit a little more. The business starts to get maybe a little more annoyed because contracts are delayed a little mm -hmm. and they don't have the same kind of like access to legal as they once did. So what ends up happening is that legal might be in some scenarios and we don't shouldn't generalize because there are differences, right? But pushing themselves up in a corner where they're more stretched for resources, mm. they're more pressured. The business aren't as happy as they were before and everything because legal didn't feel that they had the same ability to push forward what they needed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe haven't been able to persuade the CFO. And in all honesty, that's the, probably the biggest naysayer, right? Uh, to get that person to buy into why this is. Mm. Yeah. We. So, so in those scenario, what what should you do? So, going back to this mindset issue, we are what we believe. If we believe we are a cost center, that's all we'll ever be. Uh, if we believe we cost money, that's we are going to act accordingly. So we are going to go to the CFO almost feeling sorry for ourselves because we are asking for more money. Because we are a cost center, so we keep dragging resources out of the business. So that's where shifting the, the, the sh shifting that belief is, is, is critical. And the way to do that is, I guess, by um, you know, understanding better. Who is it that we are talking to? And, and understand that in order to get buy-in, people don't put big money into small things. So a CFO isn't going to allocate an additional resource 
unless you can make the, the company more money, unless it can um, save save the company more money, or make or reduce the turnaround time of contract, or you know like big outcomes, and that's what we have to push. Instead of saying I need more resources, we really have to position and build our use case around what is in there for our CFO or our head of sales, right? Um, so we have to kind of say, and, and that's where data can, um, becomes critical. And, and, and instead of trying to kind of beg and, 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 you know, feel sorry for ourselves, we have to, you know, use data and, and uh, logical arguments and be like, look, currently, this is how long it takes um, uh, to, turn, to turn around the MSA. Now, these are the reasons why. And if we had this tool or this extra resources, etc., then the process would become this. And as a result of that, we would reduce the turnaround time by 50%. So although a head of sales won't be necessarily sensitive to how busy the legal team is, they will be very receptive to the turnaround time being reduced. And that's how we get them. So it's so that's what I mean by really kind of shifting that narrative, understand what our the people we serve resonate with and build a use case according to what is in there for them, their outcomes. Um, so so that's um, and I think that's a much more powerful uh, way to not only getting what we want and need, but also showcasing our value. We're here to turn around your contract faster. Well, not here to hinder the business. So, so now, Sarah, that you're working, let's call it with legal, but from the outside, where do you see? So firstly, you talk very much about mentality and mindset. Uh, so, so where do you see some of the biggest opportunities for, let's say, improvements or, or doing things smarter or in a different way? This is a great question. I think there are just so many opportunities. Um, but again, obviously not every opportunity is made equal. Um, I think one of the biggest opportunities we can build um, is obviously building a much more user-centric um, and effective legal function. I think uh, making our uh, customers, internal customers, happy um, with the delivery of our services and also ensuring that our um, legal folks have fulfilling day to day are, I think, two of the big outcomes that, we, that, that in my view, GCs should really focus on. Um, there are other things, but I think if you can provide a user-centric legal experience in-house and ensure that your members focus on the right things, the exciting projects, and also are being given the opportunity to upskill, um, to learn new ways of working, etc. I think this would be uh, a great achievement already. So, so when you're saying user-centric, um, that can be, don't get me wrong when I'm saying this, but a little bit of, of fluff. Love. Yeah. 
So, so what does it as actually mean? And I'm not saying it is fluff, but but it can be very difficult to then right. for legal to kind of can feel and and take mm. and, and then go out and push. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. No. No. I, and and I agree. Like it's 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 very high level. So, um, to I can be more practical and 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 really dive deep on that. So by user centric, I really mean tailoring everything we do to the needs, outcomes, and objectives of the people we are serving. So, and if we look at contracts, for example, every, different business units will have different types of contracts. But the way things are currently delivered right now is that we kind of take a one-size-fits-all type of approach. These are all of our your contract templates. If you need an NDA, take this one. If you need a purchasing agreement, you take this one. Irrespective of... Um, you know, whether the end, the person who's going to self-serve is a pro- procurement person or, or a salesperson, right? You, being user-centric is really understanding what is it in for them, what is in there for the in, in this contract for, the, for that particular person. So a procurement person would typically potentially um, want to um, um, save costs uh, with the supply chain. On the other hand, a, 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 and... And a procurement person doesn't really isn't really bothered by turnaround time because they are they have the bargaining power they're not in a rush, etc. On the flip side, the salespeople tend to be very time sensitive because they have targets because they have to bring the money in. And so the way to deliver that contracting experience will very much differ because with the procurement team it's all it's all going to be. It, it, the, the, the delivery will be around how can we save the company money with supply chain? So let's include rebates, let's include um, um, uh, discounts, etc. like in, you know, in um, uh, the contract. Um, and how are we going to track those things later down the line? So that's where the life cycle comes into play. The sales guy, in terms of the, their contracting experience, it's... Delivering a user-centric experience for them is going to be, okay, what, what can we do to reduce the, the, the turnaround time? Well, let's make sure that our contracts are fair, reasonable, that are going to be uh, um, accepted because they are industry standards. Uh, let's not create a 100 pages long NDA. <laughs> I mean, that, will not, that won't happen, but it's kind of to <laughs> give examples right you know if the msa is 100 pages long maybe there's a problem there maybe how about we re- reduce this in, in half if not more uh, maybe we don't need to be that protective maybe it's a low risk transaction so what can we do to facilitate the signature and uh, what can we do in our process to make sure that the sales team have everything they need to sign those contracts faster etc so that's what I mean by user centricity, really understanding the needs, the, the, the challenges, the objectives of each department we are serving and providing our services accordingly. So when you're coming in as now working as a consultant and then starting to work with those legal teams mm-hmm. and, and starting to get them to buy into that user centric mindset, which I think many legal people are actually very receptive to. And something that they are trained to, like we're all trained to to support and to serve and to understand the people that we're helping. So, where do you start? Like, where do you see? Let's call it 
where there's the biggest gap or where there's the biggest kind of win. Mm. Um, one thing is often you start by saying, we, let's do a risk assessment. Let's take a look at the entire like legal function and how they're catering. But I, I, I would guess that there's some kind of like things that you see more often. Um, what would those be? So for me, where I really have an impact is, is mindsets. Because until you believe that you can do things better, that you can do things in a much more user-centric way, and until you are equipped with the skills and the understanding of how to get there, nothing will get done. So that's really where my, my value add is. And, 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 and that's where I, I start. So I don't, in terms of the execution, that's you, you would go, if you want to build efficiencies, you would go to legal ops agencies for that. Um, where I really kind of, I'm, I'm kind of like a step, a step before those um, um, those service providers. I really sit with the legal team and I help them understand what is it to be user-centric. Um, so I do a lot of, I raise awareness a lot and, 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 we, and we kind of dive into that, that exercise of what is design thinking? How is, because that's pretty much the methodology I'm using. So what is design thinking? How is design thinking relevant for in-house. Um, how can you start understanding your users so you start doing some research and understand better, you know, who, who is it that you're serving, what are their needs, their challenges, their frustration, and how can you develop solutions that will be fit for them, not, not everyone else. Um, and you do that in such a way that you will solve your problems as a legal functions, but in a way that serve your um, clients in a way that resonates with them. And if you do that, whatever you end up implementing is more likely to succeed because by then you will have a, a very good understanding of your, your client base. So I really help them with giving them like tools, methodologies, techniques to open up their mind um, and ultimately practice. Um, and, and I get pushbacks and that's where it gets interesting. <laughs> so, so when you are then going in and then you're working with those mindsets, um, and then kind of like looking a little forward, where do you see the legal teams? Do you seem like, like, I think what I'm also asking for is that we're seeing right now AI, chat GBT. Mm. It's just coming and it's coming fast. And I think a lot of us are sitting and looking at the development and thinking, okay, so how is this going to impact me? How yeah. is this going to impact my mindset? So so when you're sitting in, in the capacity that you have, uh, what are you seeing? Um, I mean, things are definitely moving fast and roles will, will change. And again, if you perceive yourself as someone who fill, uh, fill, fills out paper all day, uh, uh, fill up templates, then again, you have a problem. Uh, your, your true value add as an in-house lawyer isn't to provide contract templates. Because again, I mean, we are seeing that with technology, you can pretty much ask this, you know, chat GPT or <laughs> or you know, even any tools now to pull uh, uh, any, uh, any templates and, and, and they will do that in a matter of seconds. So, so you've already lost, lost that battle. Um, so you really need to kind of think hard in terms of what is it that you do that is highly variable 
for for your clients and and that's where you know the, the legal advice the nuance the, the the bespoke support being able to problem solve quickly in a given situation in given parameters that's really where a legal team's value proposition is so one of the things I always tell them is whatever I teach you are tools and technology is not different. They are not an end. It, they are a means to an outcome. They help you problem solve better, faster, and help you focus on what you should be doing. That is highly valuable. So you shouldn't fear AI. You shouldn't fear CLMs or technology or, uh, you know, or um, you shouldn't fear that your role is going to change because it will change for the better. So talking about change for the better, for the listeners out there, if you had one piece of, let's say, advice in, in addition to mindset, mindset changes, what would that be? Um, it definitely would be um, let go of your perfectionism hat. Uh, stop be, stop trying to be perfect <laughs> stop trying to to people please um you know um and embrace being approximate embrace being wrong embrace this iterative embrace being iterative and test things out uh, because at the end of the day um transformation doesn't come overnight it's a succession of small steps that you implement every single day of, of, of your life and ultimately after a while it starts the big results start showing um so it would definitely be that i know that is something that many um like you're that's what you're taught to be perfect not to be wrong yeah. not to be approximate yeah you have to be spot on. If you're not spot on, you have to have all your carve outs and yeah. saying, under these circumstances, <laughs> A, B, and C. Yeah. So, so please talk about changing up the way you're thinking. Um, it can be a little terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Um, and, and, and again, it's, um, it is a process, um, but it feels so liberating. You know, it's just so liberating when you kind of, and even as a GC, to kind of empower your people to think that way, to be like, you know what? I, I mean, when, when I say being approximate, just to clarify, I don't mean, you know, uh, rush your legal advice, right? <laughs> but it's more in the way you deliver your legal services, you know, like the any, any processes, like be experimental, try things. And if you're a GC, empower your people to come up with initiatives, to try to, to, to be wrong, to fail. It's, you know, that's how ultimately you, you learn and that's how you also prepare them for change. So, Sarah, you have more than 20,000 followers on LinkedIn. <laughs> So I, I, I think it's fair to say that you're most likely inspiring a lot of people. You definitely inspired us here today. Oh, and, and I'm super grateful that you joined us for this conversation. But maybe just out of curiosity, where do you get your inspiration from? Who inspires you? So I get a lot of inspiration from um, the marketing and the design world. Um, 
I so for marketing uh, Gary V, uh, he's he's the one that really inspired me to show up on LinkedIn uh, and and and, sh- and share my thoughts. Uh, and I started uh, when I was in house and. Um, visualization of legal information is how I started. And this, these are the things I teach and I train legal teams on today. Because again, it's, it's not necessarily about the visualization. It's about the mindset behind it, um, embracing a new medium, um, uh, embracing removing information as opposed to <laughs> piling information and so on. So he's the one that inspired me to share about those things, which led to where I am today. So Gary V. In the design space, uh, Chris Doe, um, uh, he's, a, he's a really famous designer, uh, but he shares a lot about uh, entrepreneurship. And now that I run my own business, obviously, I'm, I'm more into kind of, you know, how can I move away from the employee hat and become an entrepreneur? And that in itself is a, a, a requires a lot of change. Uh, and then I, there's a, a guy who does productivity. Um, and that's uh, and his name is Rich Webster, and he shares a lot about uh, working less. And um, I try to follow his uh, uh, his wisdom on working less. So these are my inspirations. Thank you so much, Hero. Uh, for the ones that are interested in following you on LinkedIn, uh, well, go to Sarah Obis. O-U-I-S, and you can definitely find her. And for the ones that just want to get inspired every single week, like I do, um, well, follow the podcast. That is what it's all about. So thank you so much, Sarah. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Tine. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening in to Inspiring Legal. Remember to subscribe. And if you want more information, you can always go to openly.com slash community. That was openly.com slash community.